Good morning. We are in the midst of camp season. Uh, so the first session is over with, and most of those people are back. David reports that they had a very good week up at camp. So I want to thank you for your prayers about that. The second session, the high school session, is going to begin today. Uh, a lot of our people are already up there. They're worshiping together up there this morning, getting ready to uh, deal with about 100 teenagers who will be joining them today up on the mountain. So it'll be a good week up there as well. But I want to ask you to continue to keep that session in your prayers and the two sessions that come after that. Uh, this is a very important time in the, in the lives of our kids, in the lives of the people, the staff that are working there, and in the life of our congregation. So please lift all of those people up in your prayers, if you will. And let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we do thank you for these camp sessions for the ways that they impact our young people so greatly and also, Father, the way they impact our older people as well as they interact with those kids. And Father, we just thank you that you have blessed us with such a place where, uh, where we can go and we can get away from the cares and burdens of this busy world in which we live and spend time up in your beautiful nature, Father, so we can just focus on you so that we can turn our, our minds, our souls, our hearts every fiber of our being to you. And I just pray, Father, that great things will be done in your name during these camp sessions. And, Father, I just know that your name is being lifted up, and I know that you are being glorified because of what's going on there. And, Father, we thank you for that. Father, thank you for this time that we have this morning to come together as a family of believers so that we can spend time worshiping you, so we can lift our voices to you, so that we can spend time in prayer with you, and, Father, so that we can spend time in your word together. And I pray, Father, that what happens here today will be something that, that lifts your name up, that glorifies you as well. And, Father, draw us closer together as a family and draw us closer to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray this prayer. Amen. So we're in the midst of a sermon series that we're calling Kingdom Stories. And each week we're looking at a different parable. We're listening to Jesus tell us one of his parables. And today we're going to hear Jesus tell us a very familiar kingdom story. It's a parable about a prodigal son, and it's a parable about his loving father. And it's perhaps the best known of all of Jesus's stories. But what may not be as familiar to us is that this kingdom story is triggered by something kind of unusual. It's triggered by a muttered accusation from a self-appointed group of righteous people. It's a muttered accusation from a group that has become convinced that Jesus doesn't know who belongs in God's kingdom. This story begins with an accusation that's directed to Jesus. What they said was this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners, and even worse, he eats with sinners. What they're saying is this man, Jesus, doesn't understand God's kingdom. What they're saying is this man, Jesus, doesn't understand the kingdom because he welcomes and shares meals with the very people who have no place in God's kingdom. They're saying this man can't be from God because he doesn't even recognize God's people when he sees them. And Jesus responds to this accusation in a very Jesus sort of way. He doesn't engage in debate He doesn't hurl a counter-accusation. Instead, what he does is he agrees with their accusation. He even builds on it. He even gives them more fuel for their grumblings and more fuel for their mutterings. And he does this by responding to this accusation 
with a series of kingdom stories. A series of stories that boldly and clearly replies to them. Jesus says, yes, as a matter of fact, I do welcome sinners. Jesus says, yes, as a matter of fact, I do eat with sinners. And Jesus says, yes, as a matter of fact, I not only welcome them, I not only eat with them, but I celebrate with them too. Unlike some of Jesus' stories, these stories aren't particularly subtle. Jesus doesn't even try to hide who he's talking about. He doesn't mask the fact that these stories are directed to people who are in his crowd listening to him. These stories are about those tax collectors and those sinners who have gathered to hear Jesus. They're about the people who Jesus has been accused of welcoming. They're about the people who the righteous group have actually rejected. See, these stories are about the tax collectors who have joined with a hated Roman empire to extract an enormous financial burden from their fellow Jews. And these stories are about the sinners whose lifestyles or whose circumstances or whose diseases or whose occupations have made them outcasts in their society. Have made them the very people that the righteous group go out of their way to avoid. Have made them unwelcome in the righteous group's kingdom. But these stories are also about those accusers. They're about those who are doing the avoiding. They're about the righteous group as well. These stories are also about the people who have made the sinners and the tax collectors unwelcome in the kingdom. They're also about the grumbling and muttering Pharisees and the grumbling and muttering teachers of the law. So in our crowd today, there are tax collectors and there are sinners. And in Jesus' story, there are lost sheep and there are lost coins and there are lost children And all of us in this crowd would know that when Jesus talks about lost sheep and when Jesus talks about lost coins and when Jesus talks about lost children, he's talking about those tax collectors. He's talking about the sinners. He's talking about the unwelcome. He's talking about the outcast. But also in our crowd are Pharisees and teachers of the law. And in Jesus' stories, These are the sheep who remain, and these are the coins who aren't lost, and these are the children who don't leave. And all of us in this crowd would know that when Jesus talks about these sheep and these coins and these children, he's talking about the Pharisees, and he's talking about the teachers of the law. He's talking about those who feel welcome and those who feel comfortable And I want you to imagine that as Jesus talks about the joy over finding one lost sheep and the joy over finding one lost coin, I want you to imagine how the welcome, how the comfortable in this crowd must have been feeling. I believe they were starting to feel a little unwelcome and a little less comfortable being here in Jesus' crowd. And I also want you to imagine that as Jesus talked about the value of every lost sheep, And as Jesus talked about the value of every lost coin, I want you to imagine that those in the crowd who are normally unwelcome, those who are normally outcast, maybe they're just beginning to feel a little bit more welcome and a little bit more included as they're here in Jesus' crowd. And that's what's going on in this crowd as Jesus begins his third kingdom story. Luke 15 and verse 11 
Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Let's stop for a moment. Let's talk about this younger son. This younger son isn't a very sympathetic figure. In fact, Jesus paints the most unflattering portrait possible of this younger son. Jesus really lays it on thick when he's talking about this man. Jesus wants to make sure that everybody understands that he's presenting a character who did everything possible wrong. He started out by insulting his father. Basically, what he's telling his father here is he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance right now. You see, Dad's in the way. Dad's a nuisance. He thinks his life would be better. His life would certainly be more fun if his dad simply was no longer around. Basically, the son is saying, since you aren't dead, I'm going to treat you like you were dead. And I'm going to live my life as if I don't even have a father. And the father, instead of challenging his son, instead of punishing his son, instead of cutting his son completely off, the the father goes along with his desires, gives him what he wants. And that's pretty bad, but things get worse. Not only does the son demand a share of his father's land, he then takes that land the land that's the most precious commodity that you can possibly have in this culture. He takes the land and he sells it. He removes the land from his family's holdings. And so he severs his tie to the family's land, to precious land, to the promised land. And that's really bad, but it gets worse. He not only severs his tie to the family's land, he leaves his own homeland And he moves in with the enemy. He goes to a foreign country. He moves to Gentile country. And so he severs his ties to his own people. And that's really bad. But things get worse. He not only cuts his ties to his people, he blows all of his money. He blows all of his inheritance and he blows it on wild living. Today we might say he blew it on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's the kind of lifestyle he was living And so his family's carefully protected and his family's carefully cultivated land is gone. It's blown, it's wasted, and there's nothing whatsoever to show for it. And that's really bad, but it gets worse. Now that he's a broke stranger in a strange land and he's in the midst of a famine, he takes the only job that's available to him, and that's feeding detestable, unclean pigs. That's quite a downward spiral, and it leaves this younger son hungry and humiliated and lonely. And you know what? This crowd listening to Jesus tell this story, this crowd thinks that's exactly where he belongs. 
the righteous people and the sinners in the crowd and everyone in between have to agree that that's exactly what this young man deserves. Because, you know, it's hard to come up with any excuses for an insulting, land-despising, country-leaving, wild-living, pig-feeding Jew. There's just no excuse. You see, Jesus has painted a picture of a villain. It's a villain that we can all agree deserves his hunger, deserves his humiliation, and deserves his loneliness. So that's the picture that's in front of us until Jesus changes the picture. Verse 17, when the younger son came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll set out, and I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up, and he went to his father. He came to his senses. And what does he want? He wants to go home. But there's all kinds of problems associated with going home. Problems that this rehearsed speech likely aren't going to overcome, likely aren't going to solve. So we need to picture as this young son, as he trudges back home, we have to picture the fact that these problems that he's facing are just running through his mind over and over again. You see, he wants to go home, but that's a problem because when he left home, he cut all of his ties. He burned all of his bridges. He wants to go home, but that's a problem because he knows that he's probably been disowned by his father. He knows that because he treated his father as if his father was dead, the father's probably returned that favor. He's probably made the decision that his son is going to be dead to him. He wants to go home. But that's a problem because he's most likely even been banished from his community. Banished from his people because of the way he treated his father and because of the way he treated his land and because of the way he treated his people and because of the way he's conducted himself in this foreign land. And still he trudges back home. But as he does that, he knows that his reception when he gets home is very much in doubt. And as he's walking back home, he's wondering the same thing that all of us in this crowd are wondering. He's wondering, like we're wondering, how's he going to be received? How is the father going to respond when this father-insulting, land-despising, country-leaving, wild-living, pig-feeding son shows up? How's the father going to respond? And since we all know who is who and what is what in this story... We know that the father in this story is God. So not only are we curious about how the father is going to respond, we're curious how God is going to respond to this young man. We're anxious to hear what Jesus has to say about God. And we're anxious to hear what Jesus has to say about his kingdom. We've got some similar questions in mind, but we also have some different questions in mind. We have different questions that are foremost in our minds depending on which part of this crowd we belong to. See, the righteous among us want to know, will Jesus finally get it right? Will Jesus get it right this time? Will he tell the story in the right way? Will he have this story end in the way that it should? We want to know, will Jesus have the Father put this sinful son in his place? 
Will he rebuff the son's attempt to come back as a hired hand and instead leave him where he belongs? Leave him cut off. Leave him on the outside looking in. Leave him hungry and humiliated and alone. But you know, the sinners among us in this crowd have a very different question foremost in our mind. See, we want to know, is Jesus any different? Is Jesus any different than our other teachers? Is Jesus any different than these Pharisees? Is Jesus any different than these teachers of the law? We want to know, will Jesus tell the story where the Father allows the Son back in? We want to know, will the Father feed him? Will the Father restore his dignity? Will the Father restore his family? Let's listen to Jesus answer those questions. Verse 20, he continues, But while the young son was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate For this son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. So we wanted to know, how will the father respond? And now we have our answer, the compassionate father. Forgetting all of his dignity, the compassionate father runs to his son. The compassionate father, forgetting all past insults, Loves and forgives his son. The compassionate father, forgetting all losses of land, actually celebrates his son's return. You see, this is no hired hand. This is no slave to be working for his father. This is no outcast. This is the father's child. This is the father's son. And the righteous among us, All we can do is kind of shake our heads because Jesus didn't get it right in our view. He didn't put this sinner in his place. All he's done is just give us something else to mutter about, something else to complain about. But for the sinners among us, what a story, what a revelation. See, Jesus is different. Jesus didn't put us sinners in our place. Jesus tells us that we don't have to remain hungry. We don't have to remain humiliated. We don't have to remain alone. See, Jesus tells us that there is a way home. There's a way to be welcomed back into his kingdom. It's quite a story, but we've forgotten someone in this story, haven't we? So we put all of our attention on the lost son, but we have ignored the son who never left. We have kind of neglected that righteous older brother, so let's catch up with him. Verse 25, Jesus continues the story. He says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, What's going on? 
Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost. And he's found. Well, obviously, this wasn't a joyous homecoming for everybody. See, the older brother responds in the way I think most of us would expect him to respond. He responds with righteous indignation. He's a lot like those 6 a.m. workers that we talked about last week. See, he knows that what the father has done isn't fair. What the father has done isn't right. See, while his brother has been out doing wrong, he's been doing right. While his brother has been insulting, he's been obedient. While his brother has been partying, he's been slaving. While his brother has been losing the family land, he's been working the family land. And who gets the celebration? His brother. See, the older brother thinks that he has been righteous. He thinks he's honored his father by doing what his father wants. But he doesn't understand that he's failed his father in the end. He's failed his father because he doesn't do right in the one thing that matters to his father the most. He doesn't do right by his brother. See, he doesn't run to who his father ran to. And he doesn't love who his father loves. And he doesn't forgive who his father forgives. And he doesn't celebrate the return of the one his father celebrates. Instead, what he chooses to do, he chooses to disown. He chooses to disown his brother. He no longer even calls him his brother. He calls him his father's son. He chooses to disown him even though his father has welcomed him back. And even though his father has restored him. He refuses to do what his compassionate father, what his loving father had to do. He refuses to celebrate. He refuses to be glad because the lost had been found and because the dead was now alive. And as we listen to this story, aren't we glad? Aren't we joyous in knowing that we have a God who searches We have a God who watches. We have a God who runs. We have a God of compassion. We have a God who restores. We have a God who celebrates with great joy when the lost are found and when the dead are made alive. We have joy because we understand that this kingdom story is actually our story. It's our story with our Father. It's our story with our God. This story should bring us great joy because we should all understand that we have all been a part of that group, of that sinners and tax collectors group. We have all been lost sheep. We have all been lost coins. We have all been lost children. 
And we are here today in this place as living proof that regardless of the foolish choices that we have made at different times in our lives, and there have been some incredibly foolish choices we've made, in spite of those choices, our God, our Father is always looking for us, always looking for us to turn back to Him, to turn back home with Him. And we have great joy because we know that our Father... Our Father, when we do turn back, our God, our Father always welcomes us and always celebrates our return. But we also have to acknowledge that this is also our story because a lot of us have spent a lot of time in that righteous group of people with our fellow teachers of the law and with our fellow Pharisees. And we're also here as living proof that we all have to be very careful very careful not to become muttering and resentful older siblings. Muttering and resentful older siblings that are unable to celebrate the return of the lost and unable to celebrate the restoration of the dead. And we all need to understand, we all need to know that the only way that we can avoid becoming those muttering and bitter and resentful older brothers and older sisters is by remembering our own prodigal history. Our own prodigal history when we were welcomed back, when we were forgiven, and when we were celebrated by our Father when we turned back home. See, it's only when we remember our prodigal history that we can leave our pity parties behind and instead join in God's celebration, His celebration for the lost who are found and the dead who are alive. And it's only when we remember our own prodigal history that we can celebrate our Father's infinite grace and so we can do what is right in our Father's eyes so that we can restore His sons, not just as His sons, but as our brothers. And so we can restore His daughters, not just as His daughters, but as our sisters. See, brothers and sisters, we need to be brothers and sisters who search just like our Father searches. We need to be brothers and sisters who watches just like our Father watches. We need to be brothers and sisters who run toward the lost just as our Father runs towards those who turn to Him. We need to be brothers and sisters who restore just like our Father restores. And we need to be brothers and sisters who celebrate with great joy the return of prodigals just as our Father celebrates their return. So let's not be muttering older brothers and sisters. But let's be compassionate and joyous sons and daughters of the loving Father. And I want to speak for just a moment to the prodigals that are in this crowd. And I know there are prodigals in this crowd. I know that there are sons and daughters that are in this crowd today that are separated from their father. I know that there are prodigals in this crowd that are separated from their father because I have been seated where you are seated. I've sat in those pews hungry. I've sat in those pews humiliated. I've sat in those pews alone. Alone because I had turned away from my father God. And I know that there are prodigals in this crowd. Because I know that you can be in the church building. 
And you can be in the church building week after week after week, but still be separated from your God. I know because I've been there. But I also know that no matter what has separated you from your Father, your Father's searching, your Father's watching, your Father's waiting for you to turn back. And when you do, you need to know that your Father will run to you and He will restore you and He will celebrate your return. He'll celebrate it with great joy. I know because I've been there as well. So to my prodigal brothers and sisters, all I want to do is invite you to turn back to your father today. And as your brothers and sisters, we want to pray with you. And we want to love you like our father loves you. And we want to restore you like our father restores you. And we want to celebrate your return like your father celebrates your return. So once you turn back to your father today, You can do that this morning in a few different ways. We're going to sing a song we call an invitation song. You can actually take steps to the front. You can turn towards your father by coming to the front and saying, I've strayed away and I want to turn back to God. If you're more comfortable taking some steps towards the back, you can walk back and ask for directions to room 104. A couple of our elders will be in that room. They would love to talk to you about being restored to your father God. Or if you'd prefer, you can take one of those green prayer cards in front of you. You can write on there what your needs are. You can drop those in the box. And you can rest assured that on Monday, I'll give you a call. And we'll talk about how you can turn back to your father. But whatever you need to do to turn back to your father, won't you do that today? Let's stand and let's sing together. Sing.